Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. The majority of our time will be spent today in Matthew chapter 18. As I tried to decide about who I was going to talk about this week, I kind of leaned toward trying to talk about children of the Bible. I thought of John chapter 6, where the young lad had the five loaves and two fish, and to talk about that, maybe some, some other places where we find children in the Bible. But in beginning that study, I was kind of led to Matthew chapter 18, which I thought was important to maybe look at in the beginning. And I intended just to very briefly touch on that, but decided that the majority of our time will probably be spent in Matthew chapter 18. And if we want to talk about children, we would be looking at a particular child that Jesus called to set an example for his disciples or apostles who were with him at that time. Let's look at Matthew 18 verses 1 through 14. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes." If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. 
Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. We begin, first of all, with this question of the disciples, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And you may remember that on another occasion, Jesus would try to point out to them that he who is the servant of all is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But on this particular instance, he calls for this child and brings him in the midst of them to give an example of a person or what a person must be like in order to even be in the kingdom, much less to be the greatest. But then he says, if you're going to be the greatest, you've got to be like this little child, like little children. I was going to try to make this a lighter day today than it was two weeks ago. But, uh, and I'm going to try to do that, but I'm going to be led, I think, into some stuff similar to what we talked about two weeks ago, if we get to that point. Uh, I just feel like it's important that I bring that out. I want to try to get your participation, first of all, in this, as we talk about What did Jesus mean? What is it about children that would cause Jesus to say, unless you're converted and become like little children, you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven? What is it we usually think about with children when we think about, well, this is what Jesus meant that I've got to do to get to heaven? Okay, little children, and I, I think this is absolutely the truth, and, and it's probably one of the main things that Jesus was hoping to bring about with this. But he pointed out that little children can be playing together, and all of a sudden something happens, and they're fighting, and they're upset with one another. Little time goes by, and they're right back, just happy playing together again. They're truly forgiving, um, and they don't hold these grudges like adults often will do. I think what Jesus was using the little children in verse 3 for is indicated by his statement, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. John chapter 3, the first six verses, to see and enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, if you leave this world innocent of lawlessness, he will know us and allow us to enter heaven. I believe in verse 3, of all the things that a child represents, he was using the most important one, and that is their innocence. Okay, their innocence being the most important, because to be to get into heaven, we're going to have to be innocent. And he pointed out that uh, Jesus said we must be born again. 
being born again would bring about that innocence again. Anyone else? Okay. And that to me is the most important thing there. I'm going to come back to that because I believe that's where he's going with this is in the humility that is there. Um, I want to back up and just, nobody brought this out, but I wanted to uh, kind of talk about this. One of the things that I, I like about children is their honesty and openness. They're not uh, inhibited about what they're going to say. They don't mind saying, you know, you're fat. Or, why you got that earring in your nose? We have them out in public and we never know what they're going to say to somebody around us that we might not be willing to say and we're going to be embarrassed by it, but they're free and open just to say whatever because that's the way they are. So I thought about Jesus wants us to be truthful and that, that is the truth. But then can't say that children are always that way because you know if you've reared them there comes a time when they begin to tell lies <laughs> and they don't want to get caught for something bad they've done and so they're not always that truthful sometimes they're going to lie and we're going to have to correct them and get that straightened out get that tendency out of them while they're little to do away with it But as we pointed out, as someone has pointed out, I think what Jesus, the main thing that Jesus was getting at here comes in verse 4 when he says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I wanted to think about the word humble and um, what it means because... This is what he is getting at, the main emphasis of what he is getting at with this child. The word humble, as Strong's brings out, means to uh, humiliate, abase, or bring low. It's uh, thinking less of myself than many times we are uh, inclined to do. It's doing away with our pride and lowering our thoughts about ourselves to the point that we don't feel like we're better than others. But as we're going to find out from Deuteronomy chapter 8 too, and I didn't intend to go through that whole chapter, but as I, as I read it again and again, I thought, no, we got to, <laughs> we're going to have to read the whole chapter of Deuteronomy chapter 8. But Deuteronomy chapter 8, God talks to the children of Israel and he talks about how he humbled them. And I come to realize that little children are submissive to their parents. They have to be because their parents are bigger, they're stronger, they're in control. Little children don't worry about 
whether or not they're going to be provided for because they know their parents are there. They're going to be providing for their every need. And so they, in that sense, are humble toward their parents. And I think that's what God wants us to be toward Him. Not rebellious, not fighting against Him and what He wants for us, what He tells us to do, but rather humble to the point that we realize we've got to be submissive to Him. We've got to do His will. And... uh, Also to realize that we're dependent on Him. We're dependent on Him for everything. So many times, if you've lived very long, you've lived through times where you you felt like, I've got it made now. I've I've got everything in, in line physically, and I've got all that I need to have physically, and I'm going to make it. I'm going to do well. Basically, we become like, the man who built more barns to say, I've done really good now, so I'm going to lay it all up and I'm, I'm good for the rest of my life. But then, in just a short time, things can turn around so quickly. And again, we're in a point of realizing that God help me. I don't know what I'm going to do. God, help me. Get me out of this situation. I'm in need. I depend on you. That's the humility that I think Jesus is trying to get across with this little child that he puts in the midst of the disciples here on this occasion. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I'm going to read all all 20 verses here. And... uh, I would like for you to note that at the end of this, um, many of the things that are said at the beginning are repeated again at the end. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all uh, the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains of springs that flow out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land 
whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyed before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. I hope you see the humility that God was talking about in that passage, how he was trying to teach his people humility, humbleness, by causing them to be dependent on him, to realize their dependence on him, and to realize the importance of their obedience to him. When humility goes and pride comes, he says, you're going you're to want to forget me, and you're going to want to say, this came from me. For us to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, to even be in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus wants us to be like little children, like that little child I can imagine that little child running out around, playing around Jesus. And Jesus called him and said, come here, come here to me. Let, let me talk to you for a minute. And he brings him over and sits him here. And that child obeyed him. He did just as Jesus said. That was the example Jesus wanted to set. That when God says, come here, I want to talk to you. I want to instruct you that we would be humble to the point of being obedient and not proud to run away and say, I don't need you. I can do it on my own. Any comments somebody may want to make concerning this? Yes. Very, very good. Gary pointed out that 
An attitude of being willing to learn is in a child. And a person who is proud and thinks they know it all can't be taught anything. It takes humility to be willing to listen and find out, well, maybe I don't know what I thought I knew. Maybe I need to learn some more. Maybe there's things that that I need to take in which I've not taken in before. And the Bereans, in Acts chapter 17, I believe, (laughs) were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether the things that were taught were so. The Bereans were willing to listen, to take in what was being said and to say, maybe I don't know what I thought I knew. Maybe I need to learn from this. So... The humility of a child to listen and learn is another one. Sometimes we seem to want to apply it when we are in trouble or when we have forgotten something. We say, well, you need to humble yourself. You need to go and, and humble yourself before the Lord. You know, and we really need to be humble when we wake up in the morning, we need to be humble and ask for that guidance then, not wait till we're in a situation where we say, well, I've been too proud. Or we talk about the rich man with the story to know. We, we need to be humble all the time as okay. a child. Okay. Not just apply it when, when we feel like it's a band-aid to Okay, what Jerry was pointing out is That humility needs to stay with us all the time. It needs to be with us when we wake up in the morning, the very first thing when we get up and stay with us all day and not ever leave us. Um, That pride does not need to come within us to realize or to think that we are not dependent on God or don't need God anymore. Anyone else? Okay. As we move on, Jesus says, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. And so there was the importance of uh, caring about that child. This kind of makes us think of the time when the disciples tried to get the, the children to go away from Jesus, to leave Jesus. And Jesus said, don't send them away. Let them stay with me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Um, It's important that we love little children and not uh, find them to be a nuisance or a problem, a bother. We need to receive them and care for them and train them in the proper way. Then we move on to verse 6. And he says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. I want to look at the first verse 6 there. 
Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Two weeks ago, if you were part of this class, you realized that I talked about Mary, the woman who wiped the feet of Jesus or washed the feet of Jesus with her tears and her hair, and uh, she was considered to be a harlot, one that... um, most of the people would not have allowed to do what Jesus was allowing her to do. And I pointed out then, uh, I didn't get to go into everything that I wanted to, but pointed out then that many, many times the situation of the harlot is one in which they have been forced into that. They are actually slaves. They're not doing it of their own will. It's not what they desire to do but they've been forced into it. Um, And I want to point out that this is not just pertaining to girls, young girls. It also pertains to young boys. Uh, Peggy pointed out something that that I thought I needed to correct this week. After the class last week, she came up to me and we talked about Deuteronomy 23, 18, where God said you're not to take the money received for harlotry and to put it into the treasury, nor for the sale of a dog. And I took that sale of a dog there to be literal, but when going back and looking at the context and also looking up the word, that word also there in particular seems to be a euphemism for a male prostitute. That's the way they referred to a male prostitute as a dog. And so this shows the contempt that was held for a person who was doing that. But we talked about the the fact that most of these are slaves And I wanted to point out some things that maybe you hadn't thought about or didn't know. And that is the average age of a person who is forced into this to be trafficked is 13 years old. And it's becoming a bigger problem in today's world because of the internet. Um young people are being able to be manipulated and preyed upon because of the internet. And then once the person who is on the other side gets them in a position that they're afraid to go to their parents, they're afraid to uh, tell anybody else, they're able to then enslave them. And this happens many, many times. Okay. In Canada, it exists openly 
and it serves as an international clearinghouse to join pedophiles to victims. Okay. So with that said, how do you relate that to what you just said about youths being forced into this? Many, many of those, I have heard of that, and uh, something that was back in the beginning of the uh, 20th century, I believe you said, early 1900s, an organization which preyed upon young children. Those organizations, if I understand correctly, still exist. They have gone underground somewhat. They are played behind the scenes. But uh, m many... Okay. Supposedly, uh, this began to be recognized as being a problem in the 1990s, and but it has grown. It has grown tremendously. I don't know if you've ever watched any of the uh, any of the uh, video of uh, police officers who are involved in. Uh, sting operations where they're um, trying to catch the people, the men or women who are trying to prey on these kids. Um, but they, they do that often. There are many of them around. But they are trying to stop, if you will, the side of the man or the woman who is trying to buy these kids, who is trying to force them into this lifestyle. And I think it's important to point out that most of the time, the man, if there's a bust of a house of harlotry, most of the time the men are let go. They go home, that's it. The ladies are taken to jail. They're booked for their harlotry or whatever. And then they have a record that follows them. I don't know why this is, but oftentimes it has been pointed out when the, when the Jews brought to Jesus the woman who was caught in adultery in the very act that says there was a man that was right there with her in the very act and they didn't bring the man they brought this woman why that is I don't know <laughs> but it seems our society does the same thing and These sting operations are trying to turn that around. It's just trying to change it. But the men have got to realize they are causing this. They are causing the need for it. I don't believe we have anybody in here 
who is part of this, and I hope and pray that I'm correct. I don't believe that. However, I think it's important for us to realize the people who are involved in this, who have been caught in these sting operations. Two of them were youth pastors from Chattanooga. Youth ministers from Chattanooga. One was a coach of a girls basketball team and a counselor at a Christian school. One was a former deputy sheriff and a judge, a former judge. Several were managers at fast food restaurants where the young people go to work, get their first jobs. One was a lifeguard. Several of them were workers at Disney World. Disney World is known for being the place where there's lots of kids and lots of kids with people that may not be watching them. So they were at Disney World. One was a fireman, postman. The people who caused these children to be enslaved many times are not the people you think of out there that are living in the gutters, living a, a really bad life so many times they are people who we know and who are uh, we're associated with on our daily jobs we work with we go to school with and they think because the internet is involved that they're going to be able to stay behind the scenes to stay hidden but ultimately they won't. Why am I bringing this out? I'm bringing this out because Jesus said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to uh, sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hanged around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. If anybody has ever been tempted to be involved in this, realize that ultimately you are causing children to be enslaved and to be caused to be, be developed in a life of sin, in a world of sin, because you chose to be involved in that and to try to find... Uh, or satisfy your desires through that. We need to be sure that we don't cause little children to sin. Uh, and I realize that this is, may seem to be the extreme way. This is, may not be at all what Jesus had in mind on this particular, at this particular time, in this particular situation but it's important that we realize it's part of our world and it's growing and growing fast. 
because of the many children and unattended minors who are coming across our borders unattended, what happens to them when they get over here? There's no record of them. There's no birth certificate, nothing. They're taken and they're pushed into this kind of lifestyle. We need to be sure that, number one, we don't need to be doing it anyway because it's sin against God. But we need to realize that if I ever do something like that, I am contributing to this enslavement of minors uh, that is happening in the world today. What would be, if it were better for a millstone to be hung around my neck and me to be cast into the sea, what would be worse than that? What would be worse than that, can you think? (laughs) Surely the, the, the fires of hell would be worse than that, and that's probably what Jesus had reference to uh, on this occasion. He says, Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Against he, he brings, uh, I think he, he goes beyond just the children here to others. And I looked at that word offense. It means to entrap, to trip up, to cause to stumble. And it has reference to a trap stick or a bent sapling that is making a trap. He says, woe to those who cause someone to stumble because of an offense or this, this trap that is being set for them. And the word is used as in Matthew 16, 23, you may remember as Jesus talked to his apostles about the Uh, persecution that was to come in Jerusalem and his death and his resurrection. You may remember that Peter took him aside and said, not so, Lord, no, this this is not going to happen. This is not going to happen. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. Peter was, in a sense, setting a trap or a stumbling block before the Lord Um, on that occasion, and it's the same word that is used here in this context. I don't know how much time we have left, but um, let's go on down to verse 10. And uh, verse 10 is one that I wish I had answers to. And uh, maybe some of you can shed some light on some of this, but... uh, I don't have the answers to it. But he says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. I wish I could say that what this means is Their angels are going to protect them from evil and harm in this world. 
They're going to keep evil and harm from happening to children in this world. But if I told you that, there's enough examples of what I have already presented that says, no, that can't be the right answer. Can't be the right answer. Um, I know that in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, I think it is, the last verse of Hebrews chapter 1, angels are said to be ministering spirits sent forth by God to minister to those who uh, basically are His children, the saved. But they don't keep us from harm. They don't keep us from having bad things to happen to us. So what is their face before the Father who is in heaven? I think possibly some of this could have reference to what would happen to the person who offends them? What would happen to the person who causes them to sin or harms them in some way? Don't know that that's the answer, but uh, all we can do is with just say, here's what the verse says. Any observation someone else might have concerning this, concerning their angels are always before my Father who is in heaven. Okay. Very good. Yes. Okay. Very good. Brother James pointed out that angels are dealing in spiritual things most, and and this has reference to the spiritual things rather than the physical things and protecting us from physical harm here on this earth. reason it may seem that it may be more than just the spiritual things at least that are in heaven um, perhaps it has to do with providence and, and God's providential way of helping or dealing with us in some way but at least they are there to help with those who are to inherit the kingdom to inherit the kingdom brother on providence reminds me of the scripture God causes all things to work for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose okay everything was said about providence reminds him of leave us Romans 8 28 
that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And perhaps that is part of what the angels are there for and doing. I apologize for getting so heavy in this again, but I felt like it's important to do it because there's a call that is out there. It's kind of underlying. We don't see it a whole lot, but those who are working in this field are making a call and trying to get parents aware and awake to the fact that this is going on out there. And the instances that I have heard about, usually a child who is a good child, never in any wrong, but they get trapped into something that they feel embarrassed about, and these predators know how to play that. And they, they cause them to be afraid to go to their parents, to be afraid to go to their friends. And so they're able to be controlled and used for months or years before they finally get the courage to tell somebody. And that's why I'm bringing this out is to make us aware and to have us vigilant about our own children and to know that there are dangers out there and for us not to be involved in such a way that it would help promote this in any way. Thank you very much for your time here and uh, hope you have a good afternoon. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, Please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.